Well, good morning. Well, they had us surrounded. They were everywhere, and we were outnumbered. A number of years ago, when I was at a previous church, so, just so I'm not incriminating anyone here, um, had the opportunity to present itself uh, that we could take a bunch of our uh, high school and middle school students and their fathers, any leaders that might have been involved in the high school and middle school ministry, uh, out to a friend's ranch where we played paintball. Um, now, many of y'all, I, I don't know if you know what paintball is or not, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a very short version of what paintball is so you can be caught up here. Paintball, basically, you put on masks, you grab guns, and you shoot paint at each other. Bottom line, little pellets. Um, and so you get, there's all kinds of games you can play, but uh, you're just running around a field of some kind shooting paint at each other. You get hit, it hurts, it's great. Um, for our paintball weekend... I had to take it up a notch. Now, I couldn't leave well enough alone, which is usually my problem. It's probably why I'm in trouble a lot of the time. I called some uh, former students of my mind, uh, excuse me, of mine, and uh, they were really, really good at paintball. Imagine looking into a section of the woods, knowing there's some people in that section of woods, but not being able to see them. Um, that kind of really good at paintball. And uh, we'll call them special ops paintballers. They were extremely good. And uh, the guys at our church, they were divided into two groups. They were basically playing capture the flag over a course of literally 15 or 20 acres. Uh, and one particular scene I can remember in my head, they were engaged in some kind of paintball battle in the middle of a field. And um, all of a sudden, here come the special ops paintballers. And uh, they were just shooting everybody. And my guys were a little confused because they didn't know who these guys were and why they were taking them out. Um, I could only laugh, even though special ops paintballers got me as well. But I saw an opportunity. And I did what any good youth pastor would do, and I set up a double cross. And what I did was I, I, I called all the leaders, fathers together, and I said, would you like to join the special ops paintball team? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. And so we met in a barn. Special op paintballers, they were, they were cautious, but they were definitely open to us joining their side. And um, so we organized a plan. And it was that point the shooting started. Like, I think there was a spy. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but the students found out that the double cross was on. And uh, so they found us in the barn and began shooting at us through every little nook and cranny they could find to shoot at us while we were inside the barn. And so then the battle was on. They had us surrounded. It was all in fun, but I think some of the students, they were upset, probably because we almost got the better of them. And for those of you who don't know, um, one of the ways you do paintball in this scenario is in the event you get shot, you're not out of the game necessarily. You just find your way back to a recharge zone, a safe zone, your team's base basically. You are back in the game, and then you can march back, back into the game. The problem was the students weren't doing that. And so the guys inside, we were outnumbered probably three to one by the guys outside and trying to fight our way out with guys outside that were cheating. They were not participating in the game that was the way it was supposed to be played. And by the way, there was nothing in the rules that said we couldn't double cross them. I just want that noted. <laughs> so a couple guys inside were dropped. They were out. They didn't participate anymore. But we were surrounded by friends who had become our enemies. Like I said, it was about three to one odds, outside to inside. 
But to this day, it's beyond my belief and understanding. The inside the barn team, they fought their way out. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how it happened. But they've managed to get the guys outside who were cheating to surrender. And they fought their way out. Uh, They were delivered. I was delivered. Now, I had nothing to do with it. I think it was the Lord doing his work. Actually, okay, I'm stretching a little bit. But watching these guys that day, it was all special ops paintball. I saw a clear example of what it meant to be surrounded, unafraid, and just getting the job done. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're surrounded? Do you ever feel like you're being attacked in some way? You ever feel like you're in an ugly situation, and maybe it's because of something you've done yourself? Maybe it was your fault? Maybe it was the people around you that weren't playing fair? Do you ever feel surrounded like that? Well, this morning we're going to talk about David in a similar situation. If you don't know, the last several weeks we've been talking about David telling his story through the Psalms. In other words, his version of the stories that we read in Scripture. And so we talked about his emotions. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 3. Um, It's a hard situation for David. There's a big background we've got to get into. We're going to delve into it a little bit this morning. I'm going to go fairly fast through it. Um, It'll help us understand this Psalm a little bit more. But David was surrounded. And so let's, uh, without further ado, let's jump in. Uh, Psalm 3. It starts out with the morning of prayer and trust in God. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now here's a little background. King David had a son named Absalom, obviously. Absalom had a sister, who's also David's daughter, named Tamar. Now Absalom had a half-brother named Amnon. So you got Absalom, Tamar, Amnon. 2 Samuel 13 tells us how Amnon raped his half-sister, Tamar, and then he wanted nothing to do with her. So when King David did nothing, Absalom took matters into his own hands and he killed Amnon. Again, David did nothing. He essentially exiled Absalom, didn't allow him to come into the presence of the king, Absalom's father, for two years. And it was only after the commander of David's army, Joab, came to him and talked to David about the situation did the issue get resolved and Absalom was brought back into the presence of his father. Now David's pacifism regarding the rape of Tamar, probably because of the rape on his own, excuse me, the sexual sin on his own resume, and the murder of Amnon, again, probably because the murder on his own resume, Michael Loudermilk talked about both of those last week, they probably created the right scenario for Absalom to do what he did, which we'll get to in a minute. But here's the thing. David messed up. But our sin does not keep us from the responsibility that God has given us. David messed up. He didn't handle the situation with Absalom correctly. He didn't handle the situation with Amnon correctly. And the bottom line is these were both issues as both a king, because these were legal issues, and as a father, because obviously they were family issues. He didn't do right, either handle either situation right. But yet God gave him roles he gave him as a father and as king, and he was not taking those things away from him. 2 Samuel 15 tells us how Absalom went every day into the city gates and he talked with the people and he tried to win their hearts. He tried to steal their hearts away from the king. He undercut his father. He undercut the king. And ultimately he was undercutting what God would have for him to do because he was undercutting God's chosen. He was not respecting his father. He was not respecting his king and ultimately was disrespecting God as a whole. And so Absalom's behavior was sinful. He was not submitting to God. 
Eventually, Absalom over, uh, gathered an army. He marched into Jerusalem. He overthrew David as king. He, set himself, he forced David out of Jerusalem. He set himself up as the king. He wasn't the king, but it appeared that way. Here's another thing. Not only does our sin not keep us from the responsibility God's given us, other people's sin does not keep us from responsibility God's given us. Absalom had done wrong. Absalom had messed up. And the enemies surrounding David were supposed to be his friends. Absalom was sitting on a throne that didn't belong to him, and David was essentially in exile. So with that background, let's jump into Psalm 3 this morning. Starting in verse 1. It says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him and God. The nation had turned against David. There were some that were doubting that he even deserved to be king. I mean, there were some people that were saying that God had taken the throne away. You had to think about it. It looked like God had taken the throne away. David wasn't literally sitting on the throne that belonged to him at the time. There were many who doubted him. And this is just a picture of that. There were doubts about God. There were doubts about David's role. But here's the deal. God's truth is unchanged by his enemies. I think some of us can identify with this feeling. You might be certain that you're doing exactly what God called you to do. You might be certain you're exactly where you are. But there's people around you that are questioning you. They're questioning your calling. They're questioning that you're where you're supposed to be because maybe your situation is uncomfortable. Maybe the situation doesn't look like it's, you feel like it's supposed to. And so these people question you. So who are our adversaries? Well, they're anyone, anything, or ourselves that set us up from doing what God's called us to do. Think about that for a minute. Enemies are opposed to us doing God's will in our lives. David was king. That was God's will. That was God's promise. But these enemies opposed David's status in that area. Others undercut that status. They were enemies. Maybe it's an atheist friend you have that denies everything you believe. Or maybe it's doubts in your own head that say, I'm not sure that I know Christ is my Savior. Something's not right in my head. But God's truth is unchanged by his enemies. Look, God's got a long list of clear promises in Scripture. Scripture says he's unable to lie. And so when God says something's going to happen, it's not a matter of, boy, I hope it happens. It's a matter of fact. It's a matter of when. So what are God's promises in Scripture? He promises rest for the weary. He promises he'll supply all our needs in Christ. He promises his victory in him. He promises salvation. He promises uh, if, uh, salvation in Christ if we put our faith and trust in him. He promises freedom. He promises blessings for those delighting in him. He promises Christ's return. He promises eternal life with him. He promises a long list of things. This is just scratching the surface of the promises of God. Yet there are some that will deny every single one of those promises. Just like those who were de- denied the promise that God had given David to the throne. But God's truth is unchanged by his enemies. When my kids were toddlers, I've got uh, two little girls, ages seven and four. I, I used to get driven nuts, and, and, and to a lesser extent it happens now too, by the fact that they, they couldn't get through their head that sometimes they'd want something a certain way and it just was physically unable to happen. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, they really like to have a blanket on them, but not on them. Um, they like to wear shoes, 
but no shoes. Um, They wanted it to rain and not rain at the same time. They wanted to sleep on the floor and the bed. It was a real struggle sometimes to get them to think that, okay, you know what? Yes, you can have milk or juice in your cup, but you can't have both and have it taste right. And as frustrating as it was, as difficult as it was for them to get it in their head and for me to explain it, that was probably the hardest part, just because you want something a certain way does not change the truth. You can't will away the truth. There's no, just because it's in your way or it's inconvenient does not change the truth. Look, I really want to be able to fly, but I don't have wings, and I can't just undo this gravity thing. God's truth is unchanged by his enemies. Truth doesn't change, no matter what people say. Enemies could be those who speak against us. There could be people around us, but they could also be the consequences of our own sin. And that happens a lot. David knew this fully well. He was in the situation he was in, exiled from the throne because of his failure to handle a couple situations correctly. But God's grace allowed him to endure. David had done wrong, but God's grace kept him in the position he kept him in, even though the circumstances didn't look like he was. God's grace keeps us in circumstances we don't, or we don't deserve to be in. Yet we pursue other things in our own lives. Maybe we're lazy We're distracted. We're caught up in a series of sins in our life and we can't get away from them. But God's promises endure even when we don't deserve them. God's grace keeps us in places that we don't deserve to be in. God's truth is unchanged by his enemies. Even if we are the enemy. Even if our sin is the enemy. Both our sin and other sins can put us in the position to deny God's truth. But what's David doing in this passage? Well, he's crying out to the one that can do something about it. Look, he's in a hard place. He's struggling. He's saying, look at these enemies that are around me. But he's going to the one that can do something about it. He's aligning himself with the will of the sovereign. So let's look back at the passage here. David had enemies, but he had so much more than that. It says, but you, O Lord, verse 3, are a shield about me, my glory And the one who lifts my head, verse 4, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. The things, the relationships, the possessions, they'd been taken from him. The throne, Jerusalem itself, the wealth, all the things that proved that David was king was no longer there. He He was completely exiled. He was not on the throne. But that didn't make God any less good. God was still David's glory. David was confident in God's promises, not in his blessings. God's promise was that uh, David would be the king. And David hadn't given up on God. And he's crying out to God. And he realizes that God protects and provides those those he calls. So God's calling is unchanged by his enemies. David recognized that to the outside observer, it looked like Absalom was on the throne. It was clear. Absalom's on his throne. But David's confidence was in his sovereign father. He was still the king, and he knew that he was still the child of the king. His confidence in his calling was completely unshaken. He cried out, and he knew that God was still on his holy mountain. He knew that God was still on his throne. So what has God called us to do? 
God had made David king. He had a special responsibility as king. But what had God called us to do? Well, there's certain things, generally speaking, in Scripture that we're all responsible for. That God has called all of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ and are following him every day. He's called us to specific things. Those are general things for all of us. It's to love your wife, respect your husband. Maybe to honor your father and mother. To give cheerfully. To love one another. To share the gospel. To use the gifts that he has given each and every one of us to serve the church. General things that each and every one of us are responsible for. But maybe there's some specific things that God's called you to. Maybe he's called you to be a missionary, a student, an engineer, a true speaker in the life of someone. Maybe there's a certain family member or friend that he wants you to tell the truth to, to be honest with, to get real with. Maybe there's somebody that's specific in your life that God's called you to share the gospel with. Or maybe he wants you to love certain people that are really hard to love. And yes, I'm talking about that person you're thinking of right now. But adversaries, sin, situations in our life, they get in the way. And they make us think that we're not responsible or that God's truth is not there or that we are not required to live out that calling anymore. And maybe you've seen the struggle Maybe you've known that struggle where the circumstances just don't match up with what you feel like God's called you to do. And there's people questioning you. It's a hard place to be. And here's David. The circumstances don't match up with the calling that God's put on his life. But that doesn't change the calling. Now, don't get me wrong. When you have people in your life that are questioning you and they really want the best for you and they're asking real questions about your life and they're encouraging you and they're trying to challenge you, to love and trust the Lord more, listen to those people. But there are people in your life that would question you just to cut you down, to tear you down, and to destroy your faith. Those are the people I'm talking about. Those are our enemies. They question us, they attack us when we know when we're right before God. Adversaries make us question God's calling in our lives. But God's calling is unchanged by his enemies. And we have a responsibility. We need to trust God. Despite the circumstances, despite the consequences of sin, as we're dealing with these situations, we have to trust and keep living out the calling he's put in our lives. I think of it this way. In my role as high school pastor, I I get to lead a lot of road trips. In fact, this summer we've we've gone to the beach, we've gone to camp, and uh, we've done some traveling in and around Metro Denver, Colorado. And uh, there's always this thing that happens. Um, my goal is to get us from point A to point B safely. And we can play when we get there. We can do the other things when we get there. But for right now, we need to be focused on the goal and not be distracted by any other thing. But it never fails. As soon as that vehicle is started, the questions start. Hey, hey can I stop? Or can we stop because I need to go to the bathroom? Hey, um, I'm really hungry. Can we get something to eat? Hey, hey, Tim, can we stop at Bucky's? Now, now, don't get me wrong. I hear those voices, and sometimes I'm dealing with the voices in my own head as well. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been on a trip or two where, yeah, I needed to go to the bathroom. I was hungry. And, and Bucky's does sound kind of fun. But these distractions, these things that get in our way, they keep us from getting to where we're supposed to be going, and we have to stay focused on the goal. We have to stay focused on the purpose. 
And our responsibility is to do what God has called us, whether that's the general callings on all of our lives or the specific ones for each one of us, despite the distractions, despite the sin in our own life, despite the sin in the lives of others, and despite the circumstances that God puts in our lives. Live out the calling in your life. Because he's the one we must put our confidence in. He's the one that's called us out to do these things. God had declared David king over Israel. But his confidence wasn't in the kingdom or how cool his throne was. But it was in the king of kings. He was trusting in the God who had declared him king. And trusted that his role wasn't changing even though circumstances weren't pretty. Look, David wasn't focused on the proof that he had a throne. He was focused on the one who had put him on the throne. Verse four, 3 and 4. You, are a, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. God was a shield. He's a protector. You are my glory, the one who lifts my head. He was comforting to David. God's calling is unchanged by our, our, his enemies. Look, David wasn't in a comfortable place. And part of that might have been his fault. Part of it was the fault of Absalom. We've all dealt with the consequences of our sin and the sins of others. But we still have a job to do. And that's to bring God honor and glory in the callings that he's put in our lives. But David also had a picture of grace in this process. Let's face it. He probably deserved to be booted out of the position he was in. He hadn't done right. But God showed David grace. And, and thus, David was, uh, was secure in God's promises. David had a protector, a one to bring glory to. God was still on his throne. He acknowledges that there. He answered me from his holy mountain. God was still on his throne, and David knew that. He was David's strength, his comforter, his protector, and the one that David could bring glory to. God's calling is unchanged by his enemies. He's the one we find confidence in. David still had a job to do. He was still supposed to be king. He was still supposed to bring God glory, even though circumstances didn't seem to match up. And God treats us the same way. We have grace in the form of salvation through Christ. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve a lot of what we have. And I want you to know this isn't license to do as we please. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But there's safety in the fact that when we blow it, even when we blow it, when we're trying really hard to give God the glory in our lives, even when we blow it then, God doesn't dump us when we mess up. God doesn't remove us from the roles and the callings he's put us in. He doesn't abandon us when we've done wrong. And we can cry out to him. We can rest in him. We can trust in him. Because he's the one we're bringing glory to. He expects us to learn from these situations, obviously. But God's calling is unchanged by his enemies. We need to live out the calling he's given us, whatever those specific or general things are. Back to the passage, verse 5. I lay down and I slept. I awoke... For the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves up against me round about. This is probably my favorite part of this whole passage. Because here's David, he's taking this tiny little point. He's taking this tiny little thing, sleeping and waking, and he's recognizing the way bigger thing that's going on here. Sure, no big deal. He went to sleep, he woke up the next morning. And I think if all of us are forced to, we're going to recognize that's God's sustaining power in our lives. Because we've all dealt with it. We all, most of us anyway, slept last night. We got up this morning. God's sustaining power in our lives. But think of it this way for just a second. 
There were those who literally wanted David dead. When Absalom went and he won the hearts of the people, when he undercut the king, when he, when he, he stole their attention away, there were people that were willing to kill for him. And they were out to get David. And that was why David couldn't be in Jerusalem because these people were wanting to kill him. Not the least of which was his own son. But God sustained David. David could look at the situation and go that God's grace is unchanging despite his enemies. Grace, the blessings of God that we don't deserve. There's a long list of daily grace in our lives. And a lot of us live in fear and worry. We worry about things that we can't control. We worry about things that likely won't happen. We stress about the things that are out of our hands. This bottom line is a lack of trust. David uses this little thing to prove the greater. That he could trust in his sovereign God. He did not allow circumstances to take away his thinking about God's role in his plan. God's grace is unchanging despite his enemies. David took what would be a little thing, sleeping and waking, and he recognized God's grace in that moment. One of my favorite musical artists, David Crowder, he talks about this in his book, Praise Habits. And uh, he had a moment of worship as he picked up a chicken sandwich And I'm sure some of us can figure out where that chicken sandwich might have come from. You can't have one today. He picked up the chicken sandwich. He took a bite of it. And the moment he had it, it was just to praise God. To be thankful that something could taste so amazing. Now look, I'm a little bit more of a cheeseburger guy myself. But I totally get this picture. That there's this little thing that proves God's greater grace in my life. And David took the little thing that we take for granted very regularly. And he said, this is proof that God is still sustaining me. He's still on his throne and I'm still on mine. Because God has promised me this and this is God's grace. He said, this is the evidence that you are in control, God. And that you have not changed my calling. You've not taken my throne away. You have not taken my life away. And he had no fear, verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people. No fear. Because of this grace. God's grace is unchanging despite his enemies. I was thinking about this. What are some little things in our lives that we can be confident that indicates God's greater grace in our lives? A few that I thought of. There's the blessing of a family. Thank you, God, for a family. The blessings of a good friend, the hug from a child, a good workout, a job well done, fun with a pet, the rain, a beautiful song, a smile, maybe that really delicious cheeseburger. Maybe it's making it through another night just like David. Evidence of God's grace sustaining him, saying your role hasn't changed just because the circumstances have. God's grace hasn't changed just because the circumstances have. God's grace is unchanging despite his enemies. God's grace allows us to deal with the consequences of our sin. He wants us to learn from it. That's God's grace. It's a gift to us to make us more like him, to learn from those things. God's grace forces us through circumstances that we would not choose so that we will trust him more, so our faith would deepen in him, so he could make us holy. He drives, us to, he drives us to a greater faith 
And frequently he does this by changing our comfort level. That's grace. That's getting something we don't deserve, but he knows that we need. God's grace is present when things are going well, and God's grace is present when things are rocky. David recognized God's grace in his life. He was confident in it. He was confident of the evidence of God's grace in his life proved something way greater in his life as well. David was certain that God was taking care of him, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances around him. Verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. God's victory is unchanged by his enemies. Look, there's a number of places in the Psalms where the psalmist just cries out for the complete utter destruction of the enemies. Now, David doesn't do that here. Now, it's a prayer of deliverance, yes. And, and don't get me wrong, it's still kind of PG-13 in its violence. Um, but he's crying out for them to be punched in the mouth. He's crying out for them to be smacked in the place where they have, uh, they've been doing him the most damage. They've been jawjacking. They've been running their mouth. They've been talking trash. And he's asking God to break their teeth, to get them to stop. God's victory is unchanged by his enemies. And I think about it this way, and, and I'm speculating here. I'm going to level with you. But here's the deal. These people that were his enemies were formerly his friends. These are the people, that, these are the people of Israel. And, and David isn't asking for their complete destruction. He's asking for God to get their attention. Maybe they still weren't getting what they deserved. And David was showing his people the same grace and mercy he'd received in his own life. And I love the fact that the, confu- uh, the, the conclusion here is past tense. You have smitten. Past tense. Smitten. Great word, by the way. You've smitten my enemies. It's already done. The confidence is in the victory. It's finished. It's completed. The role, his, David's saying, my role before God has not changed just because my circumstances have God's victory is unchanged by his enemy. Look, we run into these circumstances all the time. Like I said, maybe the circumstances are consequences of your sin or someone else's. Maybe those circumstances are just things that God has put in your life that make make you trust him more. We can name a ton of enemies. We can name a ton of people, things that get in our way, relationships, struggles. But circumstances don't change his plan or our responsibility. We have to respond in faith. Look, in the long run, David showed how faithful he was to what God had called him to do. And it was a struggle for him. He had a hard times. But he did, in the end, return to his throne. He did return to Jerusalem. God restored him to that position. But he still had to live with the consequences of some of the situations that happened. It was still difficult. But in the process, his faith and his confidence was completely unwavering. I challenge you to trust in him at hard times, times that don't make sense. When you recognize you're dealing with consequences or when you are just dealing with circumstances that are a struggle, sometimes you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do and life is still hard. Trust him. Circumstances don't change his plan or our responsibility. Keep doing what he's called you to do. 
in your family, in your job, in your relationship with him because circumstances don't change his plan or our responsibility. Now today, maybe this picture of faith, of David's faith hits home with you, not because you're in a hard spot in the middle of God's will, doing exactly what God's called you to do, but maybe this discomfort in your life, maybe the struggles in your life are so that God can get your attention to move you back to the right place with him. I encourage you to make the right changes. Recognize what he's doing in your life and trust him and obey. Live out the calling he's given you. Make those changes. Or perhaps you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you've never acknowledged what he did on the cross. And through his death and resurrection, a death that he did not deserve, but each and every one of us did. Maybe you have never put your faith and trust in him. I challenge you, do that today. Trust him. Have a purpose. Have a reason for your life. Have an understanding when the hard circumstances come along. Know that God is doing something in your life and put your faith in Christ today. Trust him. There'll be some after the service that will be here that would love to talk to you about that. Deal with that today. Don't leave here before you do. God puts us in circumstances to get our attention. And maybe it's not a sin issue. Maybe he's just trying to get your attention and move you from one place to the next. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a, a family situation. He's trying to move you. I encourage you to think about where he has you and why. Why are those circumstances there? Because our responsibilities, they don't change just because our circumstances have. The calling God has in our life is not changed just because the things around us are a little different. Sometimes it's not convenient, but that doesn't change the calling. Keep living out your calling. Now, I've been there before. I can remember a time when I was completely unemployed, uncomfortable, a little scared, very unhappy. And maybe my circumstances were due to my sin, others' sin, or just general movement of God to take me to a different place, but my calling never changed. And I was still responsible for being a father, being a husband, being a child of the king, and God made it very clear in my life that I had some responsibilities that weren't moving. And so keep living out that calling regardless of the circumstances. Our response, regardless, should be to praise him, to cry out to him when things are rocky, to trust him, to allow him to lift our heads and to be our glory, to maintain relationship with him, to do the jobs he's called for us to do for his glory, Let's be a parent, be a child, be an employee to share his love, to share the gospel, to live out the calling. So what circumstances are seemingly in your way? Circumstances don't change his plan or our calling. God's grace keeps us and protects us. David was surrounded. He was unafraid. And he kept living out God's calling because his confidence in God was unwavering. We can be and should be the same way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning just for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the trust of David and the picture of David and how he was unwavering even though the circumstances were not pretty. And Father, I pray for every heart in here, Lord, that we would understand what it means to trust you, 
despite what's going on in our lives, despite the difficulties. And Lord, I pray that we would still bring you honor and glory through the callings that you've put in our lives. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would just praise you and worship you in everything we do. Father, we, we thank you for your love and your grace. And we just lift you up and praise you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you this morning. If we uh, need to speak with somebody, there's prayer warriors up here for you. Thank you.